0: If you will, please stand with me at the reading of God's Word, Acts 21. You'll notice in the first few verses, Paul and his team are making their way away from the meeting with the Ephesian elders in chapter 20. They make their way in verse 3 to Tyre. And verse 4 starts this way. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied while we were staying for many days. A prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us. He took What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart for I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Manassas of Cyprus. An early disciple with whom we should lodge. You may be seated. Beloved, when we come to this passage this morning, as God Himself brings you under His Word this morning, I would ask you a couple of questions. How is it that you want to die? You're going to die. How do you, if you could choose, want to die? Another way to ask the question is to look at it from this perspective. What do you believe God wants for your life? What does God want most for your life? Our passage has two parts. It's clearly divided by the location where Paul and his team are. Look in verse 3, they're in Tyre. And then in verse 8, they go to the city of Caesarea. And in both places, he gets the same thing. And that is counsel, consistent counsel. Counsel. From spirit-filled believers do not go up to Jerusalem. Now the message of our passage, I'm going to put in a sentence, and it's actually a contradiction of the counsel that he received from the disciples. Because this is what I believe God wants us to hear from this passage. And that is that Christ's name spreading is more important than our life continuing. Christ's name spreading is more important than our life continuing. And if you agree after going through this passage that that is what God is saying, then that should definitely inform your answers to the questions. How? Do I want to die? And what does God want for my life? Point number one, I'll put it to you just in the words of the counsel Paul receives in verses one through six, and that is, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. There is, if you could Uh, look at the passage in, in this, in this way. There, there is a spotlight, you could say, that is, is shining on one of the members of the Trinity. And that is the person of the Holy Spirit. Look in chapter 21. It is the, the Spirit who is emphasized in verse four, where it is the Spirit, through the Spirit, that the disciples are telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And then, when he gets to Caesarea and he gets counsel again about Jerusalem, look, notice in verse 11, what it explicitly says that Agabus, this prophet, says that, that the Holy Spirit is actually saying that the Jews at Jerusalem are going to bind Paul and deliver him over to the hands of the Gentiles. This is ascension of... Sunday. Today is Ascension Sunday. The Ascension of the Lord Jesus happened 40 days after he was raised from the dead. And so if we celebrated on April 4th, Easter Sunday. And so this last Thursday was 40 days since then. That was actually Ascension Day when the Christian church is reflecting upon how Jesus went up into heaven. And this Sunday, this is our opportunity. This is why we read the passage that we read is to remind ourselves of this great work of the Lord Jesus, that when he was raised from the dead, he he went into heaven and he had a promise when he went into heaven. And that was, it is better for me to go away from you because the Holy spirit will come upon you. This person who's emphasized in our passage, will come upon the disciples and will do ministry through them. This is the focus of the book of acts is what the, what Christ is doing through his spirit. So, I wonder what you think the Holy Spirit is available to you for in this life. What is it when you think of looking to the Holy Spirit for help is the primary thing you are thinking about? When when is it in your life that you are especially relying upon the Spirit and hoping that the Spirit is going to help you? Is it that He is most occupied in keeping you safe? Well, you might think that in chapter 21, verse 4, when it's through the Spirit that they tell Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. And then when the Spirit speaks again, he tells what is going to happen to Paul to Jerusalem. You might think from verse 4 that the disciples who have the Spirit are communicating to us that Jesus goes into heaven to send His Spirit to concern Himself with our safety. Is it that Paul, when he is saying no to the counsel that he receives in the next part of the passage, is he resisting the Spirit? How is it that we understand them saying through the Spirit, don't go to Jerusalem? And he's determined to go to Jerusalem. Well, we got a hint about this last in the last passage. Look back in chapter 20 and verse 22. Paul says to the Ephesian elders... I am going to Jerusalem. I'm constrained by the Spirit. Paul is convinced it is the Spirit who is forcing him to go to Jerusalem. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him there, except one thing, that the Holy Spirit is testifying to Paul that in every city there is imprisonment and afflictions awaiting him. And he says... I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God that is I understand that the Holy Spirit has given me a course in certain waypoints along the path where I must go and Jerusalem is included and there I will do what he wants me to do and that is to testify to the gospel. Maybe it is, then, when we get to chapter 21 and verse 4, that we should not understand what it is saying that, that the disciples actually understand what the Spirit is revealing to them. And maybe it is, actually, that God has a higher priority for you and your life than safety in this life or a long life. In fact, that's what we will clearly see in the next part of the passage. Verses 5 and 6, just like chapter 20. There's this affectionate and prayerful goodbye between Paul and the church there entire. And here is the message. Christ's name spreading is more important than our life continuing. And at least at this point for Paul, Christ's name spreading is more important than his life continuing with the same disciples, whether it's in Ephesus or in Tyre. He must go on to do what is more important. Don't go to Jerusalem, they tell him. And then the second thing they tell him in verses 7 through 16 is you will be delivered to the enemy. Don't go to Jerusalem. You will be delivered to the enemy. More of the message that the Spirit is revealing, is right there in chapter 21, verse 11. We'll start in verse 10. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Now, the disciples, whenever they see Agabus coming down from Judea, this prophet, and he takes Paul's belt and starts Wrapping up his own hands and and legs. They have every reason to believe Agabus ain't no false prophet. They have every reason to believe Agabus tells the truth because we've already been told in chapter 11. This is the same prophet who predicted that a famine would come and the Christians believed him and gathered up resources to send to the church so that they could still survive. He has prophesied by the Spirit before. And so when Luke sees this man, this man who Luke later writes about, he believes him. Whenever Theophilus, the original man that Luke was writing this letter to, hears Agabus give this prophecy. He doesn't have to turn to the rest of chapter 21 to see if it's going to come to pass. He would have believed it as well. This is a good prophet. And we have then the disciples hearing basically, or having the same response anyway, in Caesarea as they As they did in Tyre. They urge Paul not to go. If this is what the Spirit is revealing is going to happen to you. You must not go. But do not listen to them. Paul does not listen to them. The high point of the message is when Paul speaks up. When Paul who too has the Spirit. When he's constrained by the Spirit. He knows what the Spirit is leading him to do. They've just misinterpreted. Whether he should go. When the spirit tells him what will happen when he goes. So Paul says in verse 13, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart for I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased. And said, let the will of the Lord be done. So I want to talk to you about God's Word by giving you counsel from this passage. I want to give you some advice for your life. And I want to use the counsel of Paul. What are you doing? What are you doing? He says in verse 13. What were they doing? In verse 12, look look back. What are they doing in verse 12? They are urging Him not to go up to Jerusalem. Verse 14, they are persuading Him, trying to persuade Him, do not go up to Jerusalem. What are you doing? Are you perhaps urging others to be unfaithful to God? They interpreted the Spirit's revelation of danger as God must be telling you no. It's dangerous in Jerusalem. Paul, therefore, don't go to Jerusalem. They're trying to persuade him. Please don't do it. I'm giving you all these reasons why you must not go. You're such a great preacher. We need you to pastor us. We need you to show us how to pastor. There there can be so many more people who hear the gospel if you don't go to Jerusalem where they will take you and kill you. And Paul ain't buying it. It's not just what he said in chapter 20 about being constrained and knowing he's going to preach the gospel in the face of persecution, he's been persuaded of that from the very beginning of following Christ. I'll prove it to you. Acts chapter 9. Jesus, remember, appears to Paul in a blinding light, strikes him blind, and he says to Paul, when Paul's on the way to persecute for himself a Jew from Jerusalem to take bind and deliver people over to prison and to death, Jesus says to him, I will show you how much you must suffer for the sake of my name. That's where he gets the language here, for the name. I am willing, I am ready to be imprisoned and even to die because when Christ saved me, He said for his name, I will suffer a lot. Just understand this about the Lord Jesus. What is he doing right now that he has ascended into heaven and that he has sent his spirit down? He has sent his spirit down. And what he's doing in heaven is he's sending out ministers of the word to suffer for the spread of his name. That's one of the things Jesus is doing. And that perhaps primarily is what the Spirit is doing. Is enabling, whether it's great ministers of the gospel or any minister of the gospel, every Christian to spread the name of Jesus in the face of suffering. No, the answer is no. It is not okay for you to resist the clear teaching of the Holy Spirit. We just didn't hear it earlier in chapter 21. The Spirit was saying to the disciples entire, Paul is going to suffer. And so the disciple says, don't suffer. Their conclusion from what was revealed to them was the wrong conclusion. What they needed is not just to interpret the revelation they had was what they needed to go to other revelation to get a greater perspective on what Paul should do. And Paul only has to go back to the first revelation. That Jesus gave to him that he would suffer for the spread of the name. And so when he hears I'm going to suffer, if I try to spread the name, that is no deterrent for him. Christian, what are you doing? When someone you love. Is facing suffering. For the Lord. What are you doing? I want to say as the pastor of Redeemer Church that I'm really encouraged by the members of our church. I really believe the members of our congregation, by the grace of God, genuinely desire to obey the Lord more than keep themselves safe. I, I believe that what Paul says in chapter 20 and verse 24, well, I, I do not account my life as anything I want to finish my course and serve the Lord Jesus, even if that costs me. I I do believe that the members of Redeemer Church, again, by the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, trust him. But I do want to remind you. What are you doing? When your spouse comes to you. And is convinced the Lord wants them to do something, wants them especially to speak something that you know is going to bring trouble to them and maybe to you. What are you doing? What are you doing? When your child grows up and wants to take the gospel where it has not been, perhaps where you don't live. Don't try to persuade them to be unfaithful. Paul's saying, what are you doing? You're you're making it harder on me. You're trying to pressure me not to obey the one who we should trust. Don't make it harder for me to do what's going to be hard in my flesh. Help me to do it. I'm ready to die, I'm ready to obey him. You need to just understand this truth that Satan is real, God has an enemy and you will be tempted in the same way that Adam and Eve were tempted. Explicitly on this point, they will try to encourage or Satan will try to encourage you that a good God, would not withhold from you what you actually want to be for your life. It's a lie. You not getting what you want does not mean he's not good. And you've got a partner. Satan has a partner in the flesh, your flesh. Do you believe this about yourself? Where you are inclined and I am inclined to instinctively think, Suffering is wrong. The suffering I'm going through is too much. It's not right for me to to be doing this. Suffering is evil and a good God would not want me to suffer. He must not be good. Well, Paul doesn't believe any of that. Look at him. He does not see his certain suffering. I don't know what awaits me. All I know is that imprisonment and afflictions await me. I don't know the details of my afflictions, but I know only in front of me are afflictions. And he does not conclude from that that suffering is evil or that God is no longer God because of it. He believes instead, I am ready. He believes that obeying Jesus is better than avoiding suffering and Mark my words, church, in big ways and in small ways. There will be times where you have two roads in front of you. Life will get harder this way, or life can stay easier this way. And often, he's calling you this way. And this is the only way for you to obey him. To stay easy, you will face it over and over like I face it over over and over. If you just pick the easy path, you will pick disobedience to Jesus. And that is never for the Christian. The disciples. We're not talking about Paul's mama. We're not talking about Paul's mama. Maybe she's still a Jew, doesn't believe in this Jesus stuff and says, don't go... (laughs) If you come back to Jerusalem, they're going to kill you, son. Don't do it. It's not his mama who's saying this. He's trying to protect little Paul. It is faithful disciples. It is the people he's doing ministry with. It is spirit-filled disciples. And it includes the author of our book. That's why the word we in verse 12, we were urging him. Verse 14 He could not be persuaded by us. That is Luke. They are struggling with what we call the problem of evil. So let's use their struggle to inform our own. And that is the question. Why would God, why would God allow suffering? If he's good, why would he, if he's powerful, why would he Allow suffering. Can there be, here's another way to put it. Can there be any good reason for a great man to die? A great man. That's why they're urging him and persuading him. Can there be any good reason for a great man to die? The answer from the text. This is the answer for you when you struggle with this. Yes, there is a good reason for a great man to die if Jesus is the one who tells him to die. You don't need more than that. And the Lord Jesus made very clear to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. He says this in Luke 24. The scriptures say that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And Jesus says to his disciples as he's leaving them, he wants them to remember this. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It should be proclaimed in my name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You, he said, are witnesses to these things. This is your marching orders. I'm not asking you to predict how long your life is. Prepare for a long life. Make your life easy. I am telling you to go into all nations and to preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins because of the Lord Jesus. Jesus said this was the priority. And he told Paul, you're going to suffer greatly to do it. It's Jesus who said to do this. Can there be any good reason for a great man to die? Yes, if Jesus is the one who tells him to do it. And secondly, yes. A great man should die if it results in the spread of the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, this is why this is good. And what they're not thinking about that day is that God is going to use this. Even if they have ideas in their mind that. God could use it more if he lived longer. That's not God's plan. He is going to make people know his son. And for Paul, he knows that is better than him living a long life. What are you doing? What are you doing? I'll tell you what you're doing, Paul says to them. You're trying to stop me from following the Lord Jesus. The language of verse 11, if you look back there, delivered into the hand of the Gentiles. Well, you you could say that these are some of the favorite words of the writer named Luke. Because these very words have been used before. And I think... Theophilus, when when reading those words again about Paul, he would hear the echo of someone else when he reads that Paul would be delivered into the hand of the Gentiles. Like back in Luke chapter 9, when Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, let these words sink into your hearts. I don't know what kind of Savior you were expecting, he says, but let this sink into your hearts. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of Men, chapter 18, into the hands of the Gentiles. Jesus Christ, the son of God, was killed by men and he was killed for men. Oh, beloved, this is God's plan for his own son. To go to a cross and for those enemies to kill him. Because this is the only way any enemy can become a friend. The Lord Jesus dies on the cross. And Christian, this morning, as you read these words and consider your life and your death, hear them again. The Son of God came to this earth to be killed by you and for you. Your sins Caused his death, Christian. He willingly took the cross and death. For you. In place of you. That you might not have to. So I ask you. Is his death. Your life. Is his death. Your life what more do you want for your life than that the Lord Jesus died for you, already died for you? And did He do enough for you to spend the remaining part of your life for Him? The answer is clear for Paul in verse 13. I wonder how you can say that though. In the face of, he knows the the words of the Lord Jesus. When they say, when Agabus comes to him and says, you will be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles, he knows exactly what that means. He may have heard from the Lord Jesus before. I will show you just how much you must suffer for my name. But now through the Holy Spirit, a prophet has come to him and said, this is how much you will suffer. You'll be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles equals death by the Gentiles. And Paul can say, I'm ready. How is it that he can say, I'm ready? If I can just remind you where the Lord Jesus found. Him. Acts 8, the same language about Paul. Paul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. That's the same word delivered them to prison. This language is not just ringing a bell for him about what Jesus faced. It's ringing a bell for him about what he caused other Christians to face. So that when he's looking back at the same event at the end of Acts, he says, I persecuted Christians to the death, not just to prison. Delivering them to prison and to death. So Paul, how can he say it? It's because he has a sense of what he had done. I did this. I won't say no to then this being done to me for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's following Jesus after persecuting Jesus. What did he hear? Whenever the Lord Jesus said to him on that First day that he became a Christian. I will show you how much you will suffer for the sake of my name. What did he hear? Well, he told us at the end of Acts. He says, this is what I heard. That I must proclaim the Christ who suffered and who was the first to rise from the dead. Did you hear it? I was told by Jesus that I must suffer for His name because He suffered and He was the first to rise from the dead. So, if they say to Him, Jerusalem, don't go there, that'll be the city of your death. He hears, well, Jesus was only the first to rise. From the dead, but he ain't going to be the last, because if I serve the Lord Jesus, then the city of my death becomes the city of life for me. So you're not going to stop me from going to the city of my death. I will rise with him again. It is right for God to order the death of his best servants because he uses that to make his son known to people who do not want God. Paul would come, you and I can come to people who don't want God right now in our life and we can say, you keep going down that path and the Lord Jesus is going to judge you in hell. We can go to people who want God but think they are actually good enough God. And we need to say to them, you are not. He will send you to hell if you count on your own goodness. But there is a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who can give you all of his righteousness and you can have God. And finally, the Luke and the rest of the disciples who are there, they hear this and they realize he will not be persuaded. We're going to cease trying to persuade him. From being unfaithful to the Lord Jesus. And so look at verse 14. You can just circle it and say, this is what faith is. They conclude, let the will of the Lord for Luke. That is the Lord Jesus. Let the will of the Lord Jesus prevail. That's what faith is. They come to realize we misheard the spirit of the Lord Jesus. Now we understand through Paul's explanation of what the spirit wants, that the Lord Jesus is wanting him to go on to Jerusalem. This is what it means to trust. Beloved, is this what you do? Is this your faith? It's not just you agreeing to Jesus if he will get you out of hell. This is faith. It's in the words of verse 14 that they finally come to let the word of the Lord Jesus be done. Not my plans, not my plan for my life. If I disagree with this, if I don't want to do this, let the will of the Lord Jesus be done. And that applies to you and me in every aspect of our life. And it applies to the people you love more than anything in this life. Will you believe what they came to believe? That Jesus' will for the people you love is more important than their will for them and is more important than your will for them. Jesus' will for the people you love, if they're saying no to Him, it's not good for them. If you're saying no to them, him. It's not good for you. The spread of Christ's name is more important than the lengthening of any life, even a life so great as the Apostle Paul. Can I give you another bit of counsel? It comes straight from the mouth of Paul when he says, I am ready for prison or death for the name. My counsel comes to you in the questions. What are you doing? And are you ready? Are you ready? Ready. Now. And whatever would make you hesitate to be ready now to suffer for the name. You've just identified an obstacle to your soul. I wish Kenny Day would, would, would reach out to me every single week and tell me things about the passage. Because when he does, he gives me just great nuggets. And, and, and he did this week. Sometimes I'll say on a Wednesday night, or on, on Redeemer Family, I'll say, please pray for me. And if you have any thoughts or questions about the text, please please send it to me. Kenny is more faithful than not to do this. And he sent me a picture that we're going to show right there. You see the picture? This is a 19th century American Baptist foreign mission society. It's their logo. There's an ox there who's in front of a plow and behind him is an altar. And the question is, or the statement is ready for either. The ox is ready to plow and serve, and work, and do hard labor, and the ox is ready to be laid up his life on an altar to be killed, if that's what's called for. When spirit-filled disciples inform you that faithfulness will bring suffering, what are you going to do? Can you believe in that moment that the spread of the Lord Jesus is better than the, the continuing of your life? I want to tell you this, that... You can be like Paul. I love how Kenny, Kenny said this to me. I just And I believe this from him. I, may, may, may this be true. What's true of the ox be true of me. And I think, believer, you want that. Let me tell you how to get that. For you to believe that the spread of the Lord Jesus, His name, is better than the continuation of your life. You will believe that if you really believe that he has a resurrection to fix your death. Are you ready to suffer? Maybe they won't nail you to a cross. Maybe they won't throw you in jail. Although we say that a little differently in this moment than we might have two years ago. It's happening right now to our neighbors to the north. COVID brought all kinds of government control and limitations upon Christians. Who knows what's coming? Are you ready to suffer? It may not be jail. It may not be a cross. It probably will be the loss of friends. It probably will be the loss of family. But the Lord Jesus said, no one has lost family or friends for my sake who doesn't get more in return. And they might just come around after they reject you. You may have to wait a bit, though. you want to grow in this? you want to grow in being ready to suffer? Don't you want to say, not just as lip service what Paul says, but he goes on and lives it. Don't you want to do that? Let me encourage you to be careful how much you in everyday life avoid what's difficult. If you have habits that avoid what's hard, if you cultivate in your life what might be a great enemy to you and me, which is comfort. If you cultivate comfort, if you do everything in your life to make yourself more comfortable, what you will be cultivating is yourself as ultimate. And when you're called to suffer, or have an opportunity to suffer, you'll just already be in the patterns. You'll already be in the habits. It'll just be too hard for you to choose it. Let me encourage you to daily turn away from neglecting the glory of Christ. You need a great big Christ. You need to see Him as all glorious or you will never be ready to suffer. You may not be ready to suffer if, in all honesty, your love for people is quite small. So that the idea of the hateful people in your life going to hell is not something that is terrible to you and really your comfort right now and not having that conversation with them and not choosing to share the gospel with them not even not even you won't even risk inviting them to church or bringing up Jesus or whatever because your comfort is more important than their eternity are you ready to suffer But then he says, I'm ready to suffer and die. Are you ready to suffer? That's really a question. Here's the ultimate thing. Are you ready for heaven? Are you ready for heaven? That has to be answered first. That's the thing that will make you willing to suffer. Here is a test of salvation. I really appreciated this when I saw one of my friends post this the other day. The unbeliever can say, you don't need a believer in order to say this. The concept of heaven is better to me than hell. I don't take any you can be an unbeliever and think that the believer says more than that it's not just that heaven is better than hell it's that heaven is better than earth how can we say what paul says it's that i believe heaven is better than earth Listen to me. If you've not devoted your whole life to the Lord Jesus, or maybe you've done it in word, but you're not this—the faith of of someone like Paul is really foreign to you. Let me tell you something. There is something worse than death, and that is not knowing God. And then to be punished by God forever, and be separated from all the blessings you've just neglected that He gave you. There's something worse than death, and let me tell you something else. There's something better than life. And that is being with this God who came to bring you to God. That is better than life. There's a really funny song. Not a funny song. It's a serious song, but there's a funny version on YouTube. You can look at it later. You're welcome. It's called Looking for a City. And sometimes I'll just sing this terrible the terrible version of this song to to my family or to Kelly and we'll be silly about it, but it's a wonderful song looking for a city made of gold. You need to believe that to get to the city of life, there's no other way but through the city of your death. So I want to call all of us to turn from trying to find life in this life, to take up a cross and to willingly go to the city of your death that you might live. Don't you know, Christian, that being afraid of death and trying to avoid death is actually quite counterproductive? For the Christian is counterproductive. It is the obstacle. It is the thing we have to pass through in order to get everything we actually want. I remember after being married for seven years as we were welcoming our first child, Caleb. And we were so excited to finally have uh, the blessing of a child. Uh, That meant Wally Bear, our miniature cocker spaniel, couldn't have a room no more. So we kicked Wally Bear out of his room and moved all his doggy stuff out. And I painted the, the walls a cream, a crew color. I was in seminary, so I had more time. Um, and, and, uh, and I did this awesome, these like three lines. They were different sizes of baby blue. These were the colors that we put in his room. And we were so excited to go to Babies R Us and, and to, to test out the different rockers that Kelly would use um, in late nights. And, and uh, it, it was just a wonderful time as we were nesting. As so we were getting ready to bring home our beloved Caleb. Did you hear what Jesus said He was going to do? I go to make a place in my home for you. Our hope springs eternal because He keeps every word He ever said. He did die in the hands of Gentiles. He was raised from the dead by God. He did ascend into heaven. You can bet he's nesting right now. And that means you don't have to nest on earth. You don't have to Build your perfect life here. You you don't need a bunch of comfort here. You don't you don't need to spend your life and effort trying to make your life really great here. What you should be doing is what the Lord Jesus is doing. He's making a nest for you. You should be counting on the life He brings to you after death. Hope in Him. Believe in Him. He's taking you for. He's taking you to the place that our greatest. Hopes and desires will be fulfilled in. And therefore, whatever life you have left, whatever life you have left, all the time you have, don't be investing in you. Let Christ invest in you. Leave that to him and spend your life for others. Christ's name spreading is more important than your life continuing. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and pray that you would make us men and women, boys and girls who want to die for the name of the Lord Jesus and any other kind of death that we all long for. That that would seem so much worse than being able to die for the name. That any kind of life we're imagining. That focuses on us or earthly things, or even earthly family. That would seem what it is, which is so much worse than spending our life for the spread of our Savior's name, than even spending our life for the salvation of our enemies. Because when we spend our life that way, we will end our life into the presence of the one we love. And we ask all this in His name. Amen.